everybody and welcome again to the Motorsport Magazine podcast. And today it's a little bit different because we are coming to you from the Black Rock Drivers Club at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And it's a big weekend here because it's the 20th anniversary, believe it or not, of Lord March's Festival of Speed. But before we get underway, let me tell you about a very special event with Sir Sterling Moss, which is available only to you the Motorsport Magazine readers and subscribers. This is happening on the 18th of September, which happens to be the day after Sterling Moss's 84th birthday, and it's at the Hurlingham Club in London. It'll be a barbecue in the evening, a three-course dinner barbecue, with drinks all through the evening. And the price for that is £110 to our subscribers, and 118 to our readers who do not subscribe yet. So maybe you should think about taking out a subscription. I certainly would. I mean, a barbecue with Sir Sterling Moss at the Hurlingham Club, three-course dinner and drinks all night. But why wouldn't you want to be there? Anyway, we'll remind you of that at the end of the programme. So let's get the proceedings underway with our editor-in-chief, Mr Nigel Roebuck who's been around motor racing for longer than I want to tell you anyway. Nigel, um, 20th anniversary of the Festival of Speed, it seems almost unbelievable, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely it does. Um, uh, yeah, 20 years. I mean, I, I, you say it seems a long time. It does in a way, but in another way, I can never remember a time when there wasn't a Festival of Speed. So, uh, you know, I can clearly remember the very first one. And the, the you know the straw bales and the spectator protected by a piece of string and <laughs> it was just beautifully sort of you know small and informal and uh, who knew where it was going to finish up. Those were the days, old boy, weren't they? And absolutely, old boy. Yes. <laughs> now y you are well known for uh, having a particular passion for Grand Prix racing, and dare I say it, not a not a huge amount of interest in in all forms of racing. Formula One is your thing. So, what do you think it is about the Goodwood Festival of Speed, Nigel, that brings so many... There's 180,000 people here over these four days. Well, yeah, I suppose it's true that my... You're right, my main passion has always been for, for Formula One, for Grand Prix racing. But, on the other hand, you know, I've also loved sports car racing most of my life not not all of it i mean i'm getting my enthusiasm for sports car racing back in a big way these days after a sort of fairly fallow period but you know indycar racing before it was ruined you know i used to i used to love that too um i i think it's people always if people have a passion for something their passion is always strongest i find for when they first fell in love with it and I think that applies, people are like that way, they're that way with racing, they're that, they're that way with music, aren't they? So, I, I think the, the attraction of being able to see the cars again, the cars as they were when, you know, the love affair first started, is very, very powerful. And, you know, no one needs to be told how potent nostalgia is. Um, and if you then throw in the fact that Jensen's here this weekend and Lewis is here, Nico is here, in, you know, almost can last year's Formula One cars, uh, you're closer to them and actually closer to the cars than you will ever be at a Grand Prix. And you can come here and, you know, actually get an autograph, <laughs> which is out of the question these days at a Grand Prix. So... I was interested. I, heard, I listened to an interview with Ron Dennis the other day and he was asked what it was about the Festival of Speed that was so appealing to him and why he brings McLaren here. Um, and and, and his, his reply was, um, it, you just have to be there. Well, it's true. I, I, I can't... He, he, there's no better way to put it. Um, you know, if you, if you have a real deep love for motor racing, uh, you know, you can't miss it. And it's also, apart from anything else, you know, these days turned into... Uh, a family day out as well, hasn't it? So it doesn't surprise me it's ticket only. Our first guest is here. Ah, 
Hi. The fastest. Good afternoon. Hello. Anthony Reid, the fastest man of the Festival of Speed in 2012, and will he be again? Well, I can tell you what, you're going to give it a good try. Welcome, Anthony. Yeah, um, no, excited to be here this weekend. Fantastic. Um, I've had my wings clipped this year. The car that I won the event in last year is, hasn't got an entry for, for this year, but I'm driving lots of interesting stuff. You've driven a hell of a lot, haven't you? Because when did, remind me when your career started. I, I remember well being with you at Thruxton in Formula 3. Well, I mean, my career more or less started here at Goodwood. I, I raced for a company called Image Race Cars, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. based yes, in the Supershell building. Yes. And I lived in a caravan next to uh, uh, the Supershell building for about three months. I mean, the great thing, no health and safety in those days. If we wanted to test a car, it could be getting, you know, towards dusk, six, seven o'clock at night. We'd just push it between the barriers onto the track. No marshal cover, no doctor, no nothing. And we'd just go out and test drive around the circuit. Well, your own um, Fiorano. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Anthony, you're quite well known for being rather a brave man. Um, no holds barred, I think, would sum it up. So tell us about driving the Goodwood Hill. Maybe you could take us from the start line and just give us a, a real insight into what, what this piece of road is like at high speed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very exciting course, really challenging. It's got all the elements that test the skills of a professional driver. Technicality, speed, and of, of course, danger. So if you run a, a, a lap from the start-finish line, the first corner is very easy to overdrive. People turn in too late, lose too much time. But that first corner is absolutely critical for getting the, the launch, the acceleration through the, third, the, the second corner to get down the straight very quickly. It's got to be clean, accurate and precise. So that the, sec the, the second corner, if you get good launch out of the first corner, is just a very slight lift using every centimetre of tarmac and that gives you the velocity going into Malcolm. The thing about Malcolm is um, most people think it's a left-hand corner, it's not. It's a right-hand curve, then followed by a left-hand corner. And unless you know that, because you can't see it, it's totally blind on the approach, you can really make a fool of yourself, uh, as you've probably seen in the past. So Malcolm, technically really, really challenging, a little bit dangerous. You have to know exactly what you're doing there. And then, of course, you've got the big challenge of the flint wall. Most people make a big S out of it. It's actually a straight line if you're going really quick. And um, to be honest, I'm not satisfied, satisfied unless I've taken the wing mirrors off the car at that point on the track. Which you did last year. That, yes, uh, not last year. I, I gave it a little bit more uh, uh, safety margin, but I have taken door mirrors off in the past in the Nissan Primera. Uh, immediately following, as you come up to, to Carney's seat, that, that fairly tight right-hander, Again, blind as on the uh, not on the approach, but the exit is blind on the approach. And then you've got the final corner. You have to be flat there if you've got any chance of winning at all. And that is not an easy corner. The very fast. And in an F1 car, I was doing 150 miles an hour as I crossed the finish line. So, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. It's just such a thrill to, to drive this hill. It's it's great. Just tell us, just tell us briefly, uh, Anthony, what you're, what else you're up to um, apart from the Goodwood Festival of Speed? Because you're always busy, aren't you? You're a man in, you are a man in demand. <laughs> yes. Um, I, what I really love about my career is I, I not only drive the modern GTs for Chevron. I, this is my third season with with uh, Chevron Racing and British GT, but also I do a lot of the classics. I've just returned from the Le Mans 24 Hours where I participated in the Legends race battling for the lead and a D-type Jaguar that actually won the Le Mans 24 hours in 1955. Mike Hawthorne's uh, 55 winner. Um, and I do lots of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be obviously at the Revival later this year. We've got the Silverstone Classic in a couple of weeks. So lots of variety and interesting stuff. And I love that mix of classics with the modern stuff, which keeps me sharp, you know, and, uh, you know, relevant to, to particularly when I'm working with other drivers. It's a long way from the caravan at Image Race Cars at Goodwood, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Life is a little bit more comfortable these days. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers. And guess who's just sat down? It's Henri Pescarolo, Monsieur Le Mans. And uh, also, of course, many other forms of racing. Um, what, tell us why you're here at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, Henri. First time here was uh, 
when I had uh, my own team, 2000, I had a Courage 52, and at the end of the season, uh, in the middle of the season, uh, the year after, 2001, I came here for the first time with my car, yeah? That was great. And uh, since that, I came only on the Festival of Speed, and uh, or the Revival, sorry. But it's the first time I'm coming back for the Festival of Speed. You drive a, uh, didn't you drive a Cobra at the uh, the Revival? Yeah, I, I drove yeah. a Cobra and I, I beat the English Jaguar E, Jaguar Tipeee, and uh, that was the first time a Cobra was beating the Jaguar. That was great, and after I drove Ferrari, I drove uh, uh, another Cobra, and um, every year I was coming, and uh, I love that place, and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Let me ask you um, about next year and sports car racing with Le Mans and Porsche returning. To it's about time somebody had a bite at Audi, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite strange, you know, but uh, that happened before between uh, Citroën and Peugeot, you know, in the WRC. Which is not so good because um, if one is uh, winning, the other is losing, you know. So, But anyway, Dr. Fish said uh, uh, you can fight and uh, the best will win, you know, so we will see. But I think um, Porsche will be uh, a very dangerous car for winning for the... Not, not dangerous as a dangerous, you know, but... Uh, it will be really a car to win, and I think even with the diesel engine, with the new regulation for Audi, it will be difficult to beat Porsche, I think, you know, and uh, we will see, but uh, what I hope is, uh, as you know, is better equivalence between uh, different types of engine, because uh, since seven years they kill us with the petrol engine, you know, and we disappear. So now with the new regulation, with um, uh, the equivalence will be with uh, certain quantity of energy for each uh, each other you know so the promise is that the private could come back uh, with good chance perhaps not to win but to be not too far away from the worst car so there will be there will be Porsche, Audi, Toyota and behind now there is uh, nobody you know so this year I'm not racing because I had a big problem with uh, my main sponsor I try to uh, restart next year with that new regulation. I think for private car it should be better, you know. I know, I know that um, a lot of people would like to hear about your driving with Graham Hill. Uh, because the people who listen to us on the Motorsport podcast, many of them remember what we call the great old days. Anyway, um, tell us a bit about what that was like with a, a man like Graham coming into the team and you know with all everything he'd already achieved and that was very strange because uh, I knew Graham of course you know he was world champion he won uh, Indianapolis and when they told me at uh, Matra team that I would have uh, Graham as a teammate I was not so happy because uh, I was not sure he was ready to take uh, to take any risk in the night, in the rain, in the fog, in the morning. You know, it's a very dangerous race. That was a very dangerous race. I was not sure he was really um, he wanted really to take those risks. And in fact, uh, we won the race because during the night, on the rain, Graham has been fantastic. You know, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, already a legend. You know, uh, and I was I've been very pleased to win with him. You know, must have been one of your your great moments wasn't it yes that was a great moment because it was the first win for matra it was my first win we were uh, fighting so much uh, since a uh, few years to try to uh, achieve that you know and to uh, to win with a legend like graham you know that's one of my best uh, souvenirs in the race you know Ari, did you in the end fundamentally like sports car racing more than formula one or did you, did you prefer driving a Formula One car to anything else? In fact, uh, when you are a young driver, what you want is to be world champion. Later on, you think uh, what you want is to have a good Formula One to drive. And uh, I never had a really a competitive car. You know, the first year with Matra, I have been third in Monaco Grand Prix. That means I was competitive, the car was not so good. And uh, after that, uh, Matra decided to have Chris Simon as the first driver. Veltoise became second driver, so there was no more car for me. After I have been with uh, Frank Williams, that was fabulous, but he has no money in that time. 
the car was not competitive. But in the same time, I had the best cars in sports prototypes and I was winning very often with very nice cars in the best teams. So at the end, I get the, the image of an endurance racing driver and it was not possible to find a good, uh, a good Formula 1 car. So I decided to stop Formula 1. Last year I was with uh, a Certis, you know, and um, I concentrate all my uh, passion and all my thoughts on the sport prototype, you know. Okay, thank you very much, Henri. Merci, thank you. merci. Um, I'm extremely happy to tell you that we have Nelson Piquet with us. Why am I so happy? Well, he was one of my heroes, of course. But more than that, he's back in the Brabham BMW BT52, which has a huge amount of power. And you are on like a farm track, really, aren't you? Well, um, I, I, it's, it's so disappointing because I drive so f so bloody slow here. <laughs> Afraid of, of all these walls. And, <laughs> and uh, I think it's... It's more to come here and see all the beautiful cars, see all the old mechanics. And um, I came with Paul Rocha from BMW. Tomorrow I will see Gordon Mori. Uh, and that's the final for being here. You know, if you if you if you ask me if you have fun to drive the car now, it's a <laughs> it's it's not fun at all. <laughs> I know I know Nigel has a few questions for you, but I'd just like to ask you one more, which is. What's it like getting back in that car? I mean, d does it bring back all those amazing memories? I mean, is it a bit like an old girlfriend or something or not? Well, luckily, it's, uh, it's uh, the car sitting there, the way I, I was driving in an 83. I'm, I have four kilos more. That's good enough to get, it's still getting the seat, you know. Uh, I drove the car yesterday in airfield to test the car. And I need to faint twice. When I put all the powder, I got my my vision get black. I said, Jesus Christ, I'm doing here. What I'm doing here? You know. Uh, but and normally we, we drive drive good. Change the gear quick and everything. You know, it's a it's amazing. Thirty years out the car, and uh, but um, not driving this circuit. This circuit, this very very. I I don't know even how where I go left and right. And the first time was was a disaster. Uh, Actually, Nelson, my memory of you in that car was um, Kyle Army at the end of the year, the, the championship decider, but it was in qualifying. And I was watching the, you remember the Yukskai sweep at Kyle Army? And you threw there in that car on qualifying boost. It was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. I mean, people now have no idea how much horsepower you had in those days. Yeah, I, I think I think Russia, Paul Russia, made a fantastic development engine, and we start the the season and 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 eighty two, and and, uh, and it was so difficult to drive. And every race, you have a different turbocharger, you have a little bit different uh, 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 intakes. And the thing was getting better and better and better and better all the time. Half through the 83, he came with a new tool which I just said, oh, we'll go win the championship for sure. You know? And uh, in qualifier, I think we have nearly 300 horsepower more than everybody. In the race, we have more, 100, 150 horsepower more than everybody. It was easy to, to, to lead in the front, lead for 10 seconds. And uh, start to slow down, start to slow down in the in the revs, in the in the boost, and all the thing was a quite um, I don't say intelligent way to drive, but it was quite uh, technical to survive the car and win that championship. One thing that one thing that's so noticeable about seeing that car out there today, and and some of the others too, is that they're all so beautiful to look at, and they're all so different from each other. And nowadays, if you painted them all black, you couldn't tell one from the other, could you? Well, I, I, I don't like to talk about those time and this time now. And it's, it's very, it's uh, I, I think yeah. I, I, I you don't know how much I love to drive the car with the clutch and change the gears, and it, it's it's so good. It's um, it's really amazing. Uh, 
how much I enjoy. I still have these funny cars with the pedals and all automatic and this, and that's very nice. But it doesn't give you a pleasure to drive, like uh, change the gears and have the power and and, and have no no tire co no power control and all these things. You know, you can slide and and uh, I still enjoy a lot this kind of car. Which was the car you loved the best? Was it the BT49 or? Look, the BT49 was the easiest car to drive. It was bloody quick in the corner and was no power at all, you know. But this one here is the most difficult and uh, and uh, you have to careful to, to keep the car in one piece. You know? well, I mean, Gordon always said that he, he essentially designed a dragster. You know, but all, everything at the back of the car and it was just a... Yeah, the car was, uh, they put all the radiator, everything come to the back and the engine was quite small. You know? It was, uh, was this one and a half liters, four cylinder engine. It was, um, the block was from the road car. You know, it's, uh, it's um, amazing. Uh, what, I mean, I heard so many different figures about the sort of horsepower you had in qualifying. Um, and somebody I remember in the team was saying, I remember it might have been Herbie, saying almost 1500 in uh, qualifying. Look, no? the true is, the, the, the true, uh, uh, Paul Rocha doesn't know, because the Dyna, the, yes, the Dyna go to 1250, and it, that was getting nearly 2000, 2000 revs below, uh, before that was getting that. And they didn't know exactly what the power we have and um, and uh, usually you have two set of tires for qualifying we put about uh, five bar boost and to do the qualifying and we've done a very good time already and the next one he closed the weight gaze complete and go five and a half five point six five point seven depends of the weather bar and uh, and he's still doing one more lap but you never know what power we had. We, I know we got, every time we got between 25 kilometers quicker in the straight. We have to put uh, fourth, fifth and sixth gear three points longer, you know, uh, to get in the end of the straight. And that was the point. And it was very difficult to qualify because first, we have one, one tire, we set of, two set of tires, sometimes we did three laps get all the the user do another time but it's only for fun because the time was already we're already in pole position those times and uh, and uh, and have this so much power you know you uh, to get in the corner it's uh, and you only one lap it's not to don't get used to have to do it you know that was the point yeah. when you arrived you described this as a museum <laughs> Well, ha have you ha have you met any other relics from your day since you've been here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw some friends, some drivers. Uh, I looked at this, like, let's me look in the mirror. Do I, I'm bad like him? <laughs> I'm getting bad like that? <laughs> have you seen Ricardo? No, not yet. No? no. I don't think he came. Oh, really? Yeah, he car was there, but I didn't see him. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, I saw Tiffany Dell. Uh, <laughs> uh, I said, Jesus, are you getting old? Jesus, do I, do I look like you? I look like that? <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, man, you're a legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, talking of legends, uh, because we have so little time, let me ask you straight out. Who, who, was your, who would you say was the, your toughest, toughest competitor when you were winning those titles? The, the guy that you really thought, you know, I've got to do something good. Look, my situation was different. Uh, usually, I have a, I have a tough driver driving together with me uh, uh, at Williams, Manajo. But Nigel was very, uh, very lucky because the first year I have a couple of engine failure, I could win the championship very easy. The second year, I knocked my head down in, uh, in Imola and I, I lost the, the deepness and I didn't tell nobody because they couldn't because if they tell they don't let me race and I keep running behind Nigel all races you know he was my my 
my house yeah yeah and he was unlucky because he, he lost to uh, nothing real and this and in the end they won the championship but that was my most difficult year because I was not right you know when were you right how long how long did it take before you were back to normal well it took a long time I think by the last races I was quite good but uh, it took a long time to to see properly I, I was doing every two weeks I go to the to the doctor and he said oh it's still bad still bad they said, they said what I do he said nothing it's coming slowly no. Are you are you telling are you telling us that you never you never told anybody about that? No, I only told in the end of the year. No, <laughs> only in the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, now, yeah. Right now we're gonna sit down, Emerson. Nice to see you. Wow. Okay, this is Brazil time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Welcome, Emerson. Thank you very much for coming. Um, what? Do you want to tell us some lies as well? <laughs> I don't tell any lies. <laughs> He, if he tells more lies, he knows going to be even bigger. <laughs> like a Pinocchio. <laughs> Emerson, Emerson. He'll lie, lie. <laughs> 20th anniversary of the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Uh, and um, tell us what you're doing here this weekend, please. I'm enjoying. I'm having fun. First thing. Uh, I'll be driving the GPS again. Um, I'm driving the Lotus Jump Play Special, uh, but I always have fun, always something new. Yesterday, for the first time, I saw all the, the record break car from, from the Daytona Museum, they, they are fantastic. I only saw in pictures and film, and uh, I don't know who are the crazy guys that go and drive that scenes. <laughs> They're wonderful, aren't they? They really are. Oh, wonderful cars. Actually, we, Nelson was just telling us that when he tested the Brabham, at Thorny Island Airfield on Thursday, uh, he was very, very shocked by the power, and he thought, "My God, what am I doing here?" Uh, do, you, do you relate to that kind of feeling now when you get back in these cars? Well, I'm sure uh, that car, how much power has? One thousand two hundred. No, no, here, here, here. I think uh, I don't think maybe have a six hundred, seven hundred power, but it's already enough to me faint. <laughs> And you, you, you told me once, is, you said it's like being back with an old girlfriend. Yes, yes. Well, I think it's always great to be back here on, the, on our original car. I don't know if Nelson feels that, even the smell inside is the same, you know? Did you, did you smell inside the cockpit? Yeah, the smell changed because we, we shit ourselves and the smell come up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, this is a great celebration for Brazil right now, right here at Goodwood, isn't it? I mean, with you two guys here. Um, are we, are we going to see a return of, is, are there some great Brazilians coming? I know there's your grandson, isn't there? I mean, we, that would be nice to happen again, wouldn't it? Because it's been a bit of a... Well, more racing in Brazil is, is a lot, lost a lot, you know. We don't have a base category and... Um, it's, it's getting difficult, huh? It's getting difficult to get a new driver's um, you know, it's, uh, up there. But Tell see. us about your grandson. He's doing rather well, isn't he? Well, we know it's a long way to go to Formula One. He's doing well. He just come, he was, he started NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, he's used to, the, to drive an oval. And uh, actually he's testing today in Brands Hatch, <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> Is it, is it Did you not do a, lap, a few laps with him in a NASCAR car? And he was way quicker than you, wasn't he? He was easy quicker than the grandfather. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Uh, he's oh, anybody can be bigger than him. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Nelson. You're, you're not competitive anymore, are you, Nelson? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Nelson. Yeah, we Never know that. Never competitive. <laughs> Actually, Emerson had better luck at India than you did, didn't he? Oh, yes. I, yeah, I, I'm yeah, yeah. short. <laughs> but, but I went there to do one race. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. And uh, but it amazed me, that he, and I was there in 93 when you did the second one. Yeah. And it amazed me after you, 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 you ever went head, back. Yeah, 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 yeah sure, yeah. sure. Uh -huh. Have you heard, you've heard about this new film about James Hunt and Nicky Lauda? Will either of you interested in seeing that? Oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I would like to see it very much, yeah. 
is a special a special era Formula yeah. One. I think it's different from now. It's good to see, good for the public to know what was going on. We we need some more big characters, don't we? Really? I mean, you guys were. I mean, you were serious, of course, world champions, but y you had some fun, didn't you? I know you did. Um, and nowadays it all seems terribly, terribly serious and, you know, am I right? What do you think? I think they cannot say or they don't want to say what they think and what they do. They have to say what the PR guy wants him to say. It's not what, what his emotion, what his challenge, uh, his personality is not there. I mean, on the, it's very sad to see the interviews now. They, they cannot express exactly what's going on. We don't know. You look at the drivers now, they, they like uh, on a computer program. Huh? Well, I, I tell you something I remember, Nelson, which could, never, which could absolutely not happen now. In, uh, in Austria, in 85, at the end of qualifying, Alan Henry and I have been out on the circuit watching we came back into the paddock, and you were in a um, caravan in, in the paddock. And we were passing, and you tapped on the window, and said, um, um, so we came and sat down. And you, we, we spent an hour with you, and what you were trying to decide at that time was whether to stay with Bernie or whether to go to Frank. Mm. And you wanted our opinions. I mean, that's, that, that's so far removed from how it is now. Yeah. Because I remember you saying, you know, what you had to say about how, how much or how little Bernie paid you and, yeah. and what Frank was offering and everything else. But that, something like that is simply impossible now. Yeah, and I signed a contract with Frank in a, in a, in a, in a, in a park, car park. <laughs> We signed a contract with 19 items and we signed, he signed, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think you have to go, Emerson. But I'd just like, I, I just like to, I, I just want to ask you one more quick thing. Um, when, you, when you drive here at the festival, can you just tell me what it feels like? Because the, 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 you can almost feel the love of the crowd for you guys. You can almost feel it, can't you? Well, I, I think you can, you can see the enthusiasm of the people. Um, and I'm sure the enthusiasm of ourselves to see when we are here in the driver's lounge to see four generations of different drivers. He calls it a museum. <laughs> <laughs> but you we have are. the young guys too. We are a museum already. We are the museum because you have the young guys. <laughs> I mean, when I see Stealing Moss here, um, you know, my memory goes back to you know, so many years. It's fantastic to see Stealing Moss driving today. I mean, I saw him in the Mercedes today. And that's part of the history right, of the motor he's, race. He's only 83, Emerson. <laughs> we'll be here, <laughs> Nelson and us, we promise now, be here with 83, 84 years old, Nelson. What do you think? Are you going not, to be here with me? Not a sitting in a racing car, maybe in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Nelson no, doesn't no, look very happy Nelson, about being Nelson 83, looks good. by the way. We'll be here, 83, 84, <laughs> running. We'll be back in good dude, for the 40th anniversary. I hope. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the challenge, huh? <laughs> Nelson, Emerson, I you invite will, you. 40 you, you years will, of good. You will be, will be here both. You, you will be 86. 86 and you, Nelson, yeah. 85. I'm He's only one year old younger than me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you still like it? See? You see why, huh? You understand why, huh? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> The editor has finally arrived. Yeah. Kind of you to turn up, Mr. Uh, Smith. I'm sorry I was late. I was with um, Michael Bock of Mercedes-Benz Classic. Um, and I wanted to ask him about the auction this afternoon of the, the Fanjo W196. Because he was telling me that they've got uh, uh, nearly 900 cars in Stuttgart, um, classic Mercedes-Benz racing cars. It's quite an amazing number. And uh, I wanted to know if he was going to add to that number this afternoon. But he told me very firmly that he won't be because uh, they don't have the money, apparently, to, uh, to bid for the car this afternoon. He's expecting a record number. Obviously, uh, this, this podcast will be going out after the auction, so you'll, you'll all know how much it went for. Um, but he was also um, admitted he was slightly unhappy that the car is coming up for sale at all because it was actually loaned to Bewley many years ago 
and they they sold it on. So, uh, but it's it's the one thing that I think today everyone is talking about is the, the Mercedes and how much it's going to sell for. Just to explain, just to explain for those who don't know exactly what we're talking about here. You know, we're, we're, what what is being sold in about an hour's time? So it's the the ex Fanjo 1954 um, German Grand Prix winning W196. Uh, so a very very special car, which is basically in. Uh, untouched condition since its last race which was Monza 55 um, and it's incredible condition we had a look at it last night um, I was lucky enough to be here for the, the ball last night uh, and it's just fabulous and it's it doesn't need restoring maybe the internals to get the engine running but the bodywork shouldn't be touched because it's it's, it's fabulous no, I mean that, that adds to it I think that, that it hasn't been restored and it's just as it last race yes, yes. yes. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is almost an undiscovered uh, Rembrandt isn't it yeah, it's had a very interesting, colourful life, as Damien says. It's, yes, uh, it certainly has. It but, did, but I'll tell you what, though, that, you know, Mercedes have got the... You remember the famous streamlined one-car transporter that they, they used in 55, which could do over 100 miles an hour with a car on the back? That's here. Yes. Uh, and I wondered, well, have they just brought it over so they can drive it straight back to Germany when they've, when they've bought it. That's what I wondered, but he assured me earlier on that there's no way they're going to bid for it. And they, he said, we've already got six of them, so uh, we don't need another one. He said, it is a very important car, but we, we don't need another one. So there you go. But I, I was quite surprised. I thought Mercedes would want to, you know, complete the set. Um, but I guess it's probably quite hard for them to buy something which they they don't feel should be uh, you know should have been sold in the first place that's a very just very nice way of putting it actually uh, Damien here we are in the uh, Black Rock Drivers Club on the 20th anniversary of the Goodwood Festival of Speed um, I asked the same question to Nigel earlier on but what what is it for you that is so gripping about this event you know what what, what is it that brings us back year after year after year um, well there's two things the cars and the drivers essentially I mean it's the only place where you can you can see Nelson Piquet these days you know um, and Emerson Fittipaldi sitting together um, just seeing these old guys uh, looking slightly older than they maybe did in their prime but that's, you know they're, they're, they enjoy it you can see how much they enjoy it from their reaction to the, the crowd reaction uh, the appreciative audience here know know what they're seeing is special and and the collection of cars is you know the revival i love the revival because it's, it's racing and it's at the circuit but here the the, the collection of cars all eras uh, it, that's what makes the festival special to me i must say it's a real privilege isn't it to be sitting here for an hour and have you know nelson and and emerson here together joking and telling telling you know great stories aren't they nigel they know? actually don't seem greatly different to me from how they were when they were doing it uh, I think it's the world that's changed and they haven't. Okay, well, let's move on to our next guest. And our next guest is a real treat. How do we know that? Because he was with us last year as well. Good man, John McGuinness. Welcome and thank you very much for coming. Um, Damo, start us off. John, congratulations on the, on the 20th win. What, what did that mean to you to get to, get to that, uh, that mark? Must have been a lot. Uh, it's not so much the, the 20, it's just winning races you know it was uh you know this year the tt was under a little bit of pressure really they had uh, a new teammate new kid on the block michael dunlop and he seemed to be just winning everything and uh had to carry some different colors in the first race i was uh, we did a joy dunlop tribute uh which i feel a little bit under pressure a little bit at the start of the week and you know but i just kept my head down and kept pushing and, and pushing and uh you know i wasn't thinking about the tally of wins I just wanted to win some races and, uh, and do a good job and to win the senior was if you're going to pick a race to win it's probably the senior you would like to win you know and uh, it's a blue ribbon race and yeah we, we, we got it you know it was it was a tough race and it was it looked like it was a foregone conclusion that Michael was going to carry on and win the five and you know everybody was saying I'm you know it's a change into the guard if you like and there's a new king and one thing or another, so that was the whole thing, it just gave me a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of passion and a bit of fire in my belly and it was nice to get that win, sure. Sorry, I was going to say, it's almost nervous watching Michael though, because he looked like he was on the ragged edge during those yeah, races. Yeah, I mean, I suppose anybody running at the front of the race and the outside, it's always going to look pretty insane really, you know, we all, everybody thinks we're madmen anyway, but uh, yeah, we, do. we do, a, you know, we do, we do, do a, we do do a skillful job, you know. I know it's a, there's a little element of madness in it, if you like, but it's still it's still a 
a hell of a thing to control, you know. And if you're doing it lap after lap after lap to be able to do it, you know, it shows that you you are on the right lines and everything. But he's a little bit wild. He's a little bit raw. He's a little bit. I mean, he's got they've got loads of ability and, and and balls, if you like. You know, there's there's no question. But uh, it's all just coming together now. Is uh, you know, he's crossing the T's and dotting the I's, and he's he's just. He's in our, I call it our team, it's not our, they're the Legends team, so he's got, come into a great team and I've helped him out a little bit, you know, I've helped him maybe too much, you know, maybe shouldn't have told him too many tips, but uh, it's good to see, I, I can't see kids like, he's only 25 year old, you forget, you know, and I, I did my first TT when I was 25 years old and he's won seven TTs at the age I started, so he's got an incredible future ahead of him with, uh, with TT, so uh, we'll see what the next few years bring. It's not time for a new king yet, is it, John? No, 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 not at all. You know, it's. Uh, I had the pace in the first race, but with the TT race now, it, uh, when the flag drops, if you're a little bit lazy at the start and you drop eight, ten seconds, you, you're done. You know, you've got to be absolutely on lap record breaking pace from the drop of the flag and the, and the you know as you let go of that clutch you've got to be bang on it and uh, you know I was lazy at the start I had a 60 second penalty in the pits you know I made a schoolboy error in the pits you know my team told me to stop and I, I, I didn't uh, they never had the cap short the fuel cap and I rode off so I had to take my hand off the, the speed limiter and and do it myself when I took the hand off the limiter I speeded up and you know it was just a silly mistake and I had to ride hard, but I broke the outright lap record on the last lap, which proved I still had the pace. And I just needed to take that to the senior, you know, the following uh, Friday, and and start off at that pace, and we managed to win win another one. So awesome. John, do you, do you? Sorry, I just want. I'm just interested. Do you do you ever think about when you might stop, or is it something that you don't you don't think of? Yeah. Do you think it'll, it'll just happen when it happens, or? Yeah, I mean, I do think about it, and uh, I. I, I it's amazing, you know. I, I, you know, I'm sat around here, around this circle with you, great people. At 41 years old, I never thought I would be still winning races at 41. You know, I mean, when I was 20 year old, I looked at a 40 year old block. I thought he was an old codger, you know. And like now, now I'm 41, so it's. I still feel good, you know. I, I still feel great. I look pretty average, but I feel brilliant. When I get on, when I get on the bike and just flick the helmet on, and let the clutch out, I feel at one. I feel at home on the bike and. You know, the results are still coming and I still have brilliant people working with me, fantastic mechanics, and also I get the full support from my family, the wife and, you know, my mum, my dad, they also love it and they don't put me under any pressure to stop. So, at the moment, you know, that feeling when you win, it's the best feeling in the world and it's hard to let go. And I speak to some of the racers who've retired and, you know, some of them are still in a bad spot, you know, they're they're still racers and they find it difficult you know so I don't know what I'm going to do but you've got uh, Stuart Graham sitting there well, he's got his leathers on from 1966 and if I get in my leathers from 1996 <laughs> I'll be over the moon but uh, a great ambassador for the sport obviously Stuart you know amazing family and done some uh, amazing things in racing you know you read the old books and Stuart's in there when he, when he races at the TT but uh, you know I, I, I'm going to be like I'm going to be like this chap aren't I when I retire I'll, I'm going to be here and telling everybody how fast I used to be don't forget, he's won the TT on four wheels as well. Well, you haven't done yeah. that yet. Uh, there's always time, you know. I mean, I've been looking at a few cars. I've only got a little seat, so I'm not going to get my fat ass in some of them cars. But uh, I, had a, I had a test in one of those aerial atom things. Uh, is it an aerial atom? Uh, I had a test in one of those, and that scared me. So uh, I don't know. It's not as easy as it looks, car racing. It looks easy from the outside, but it's a, it's a damn sight harder when you actually get behind the wheel. Excuse me, did you say it scared you? Yes, it did. It did. It scared me. Yeah. The aerial atom scared you. Well, I was on the, I was on the TT course actually, racing it against my bike, and uh, I went around the bungalow and just put my foot down on it in it and it just went sideways, snapped sideways and I thought I was going to go down the train line back down towards Laxey in the Isle of Man on the, on the, in the car but uh, yeah, it's, it was, I was out of my comfort zone a little bit but uh, big respect for the car drivers, you know, they do it's not, they make it look easy and obviously when you're in the cockpit it's not easy at all Stuart Graham, thank you very much for coming along Thank you hey, you bikers, to be here again You bikers are a different breed, aren't you, really? Well, so they tell us you know, I mean, uh, it is, as John has proved, you know, he's uh, he's still doing a great job. He claims to be old, of course. He's still only quite young, really. He's, he's only yeah. 41. Yeah. And that's when Michael Schumacher came back to Formula One. Exactly. So I don't see what the problem is, really, yeah. do you? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's benefiting all that experience now. Yeah. 
Yeah, but no, John does a great job. And around the Isle of Man, he is the man. And I think he had us all a little bit stressed out this year, hoping that he'd manage to get this 20th, you know. But uh, no, it was great. It's the job. fact that it's unchanging, isn't it, Stuart? That's the point. It's still the same challenge it always was. It, well, it's exactly the it, same. You know, they haven't put safer barriers up everywhere. Well, and, and you, know, uh, you know, it's just the same because, of course, the bikes are going quicker. Uh, the road obviously improves a, a bit. And, of course, well, that's part of the challenge of the island. Every time you go back, they've resurfaced a bit or done something else or eased a corner or something. So there's always something new to look at. But yeah, it is very much an institution, that place, and uh, even when you see it, you think to run round here at this sort of speed is yeah, no, frankly a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, talking, about the, talking about road surfaces, uh, Goodwood has put a new surface on a lot of the Festival of Speed Hill. People are saying it's going to be two seconds quicker? I, w I wouldn't know. I've only been up on the bike once, and I was too busy trying to find out which gear I was supposed to be in. But uh, yeah, so um, we don't do speed. We just make a lot of noise on the bike. <laughs> that's okay. We like a lot of noise. We like a lot of noise. That's yeah, absolutely I know. fine. Well, that's part of the deal. Danny Sullivan. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. Thank you very yeah. much for joining us. Well, it's always good to be back at Goodwood, all the way from the United States. Yes, sir. What are you driving? I'm driving the uh, '86 Indy winning. Uh, Indy 500 winning uh, March, uh, you know, I, dr I won in 85, but th this was Ray Hall's car, so um, we're going to take it up the hill, and and again, I he heard everybody describing about two seconds faster in lap times, I think this one probably still has a locker in it, and probably the Indy gears, so I might not get out of second gear, um, but uh, it'll be interesting, it's always fun, and just to walk around here and look at the cars and bikes and the people and you know seeing Stuart and and uh, see Kenny Roberts sat down over there and you know uh, just all the heroes I, Nelson Piquet who I raced at Le Mans with and and was in front it's just it's just a great gathering of people and cars fabulous event but Danny and I were just talking earlier about it and of course part of the challenge is running some of these older vehicles which have probably happily been lying in a museum somewhere and um, you know they look lovely and they, they sound okay but then you get halfway up the hill and you think I wonder when the, these brakes were last used and things like that you know so well, it can be a whole new challenge and who, who looked after them is, is a big is a big factor you know you don't want to it's not exactly but even the some of the good cars have gone off and uh, and uh, so you just it's a demonstration and the fast cars like Rod Millen and his Pikes Peak truck and the Formula One car that's a different deal these are old technology they're not even even if we had them the best we possibly could we're still going to be 8 10 15 seconds slower than those guys have either of you seen the uh, the film of Loeb going up pike's peak i, no, I, I haven't I have. seen it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe i shouldn't I, even I mean, watch it, it, it but it, you, you should you really should Stuart. i mean it, it is it is it genuinely is mind-blowing, isn't yeah. it? But you know, even he, even Loeb said, you know, he was it scared him. Yeah, I mean, I'm, because I've, well, I've I'm, raced. I'm glad it did because if it didn't, I would worry about well, it. Well, I, I mean, I've raced against up up Pikes Peak, and uh, just once. But let me tell you something. It's like, yeah, you you just go for the horizon, and then when the peak one, this is just a peak off the side. When you see the peak, take a left, and it's like. Oh great, that sounds really comforting as you're in, you know, flat on the throttle. So and how much practice you get on it? You get, they do the, the first practice is the bottom half of the mountain. You get two, and if you're lucky, three runs. And then the second time you do the top half, two or three runs, and then you start, and then that's you do it. it. Sounds a bit like the Isle of Man. You've got to go for 10 no, years yes. before you know where you're going. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but, it's a, but it's a... But it's not paved. It was, I was going to say it would have been dirt when it you was, did it. It was about uh, a third paved and, and two-thirds dirt when I did it. And, um, you know, I mean, it was. it's a great experience. But, but you can see, like... And I think, Stuart, you and I were discussing a little bit this... You got to be careful when you do these kind of special one-off demonstrate because you're not as focused, you're not as doing, and that's when the stuff can go wrong. But it, I mean, he used to. You remember? I mean, if times gone by, it was a round of the USAC championship. Absolutely. And, and Mario, Mario won it in the same car he won Indy with. Right. Uh, can you imagine a turbocharged Indy car? Up? No. Uh, no. In dirt. No, absolutely. In dirt. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the answers and Bobby's here. 
Bobby was one of the kings of Pikes Peak. The Unsers dominated Pikes Peak. Um, you know, the family did for 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 a long, long time. Well, I heard a great story that they don't they don't chop any trees down higher up because you know if somebody goes off there, you've got to have something to land in, you know. Yeah, but you're high enough that you're actually above tree line right? for half yeah, of it, yeah, for the top half. Yeah, it's a decent distance then. Well, you yeah. finish at thirteen thousand two hundred or six hundred feet. I mean, it's. But, uh, but I, rem I remember Mario saying, you know, some corners there'd be sort of bushes at the exit, and he said, you know, you really, you really hung it out through those because you felt safe. You know? Yeah, exactly. Bushes, wow. Yeah. But, but a special event, well, and and I think that the, you know, when you see how Loeb and those guys did it, and Peugeot did it, you know, with the, you know, staff of thirty and and the testing and stuff like that, but, but as is the case with most European manufacturers, that is how they would go about it. And he did a lot of hill climb. And that car, I, I don't know if you saw any of the road test stuff on that car, but phenomenal. That's a phenomenal. Big, it's a big car, actually. Well, Enormous it's wide, width, but it's... It? it looks very wide. Yeah, yeah. but, it, but uh, so much horsepower. Yeah. But, you know, go take a look. Right here at Goodwood, Rod Millen's truck, pickup truck, arguably it's a, you know... It's a pickup truck, but you know, think about that. That thing's got what a thousand, eleven hundred horsepower, all-wheel drive. You know, special chassis, everything like that. And and of course, Rod built it. And Rod's a fantastic driver, great rally driver, anyway. So he, you know, it suits him. But you know, that's what you've got to get to to set a record up that place. So anyway, can we can we change the subject just with you, Stuart, for a minute because. We're seeing Cal Crutchlow doing pretty well at the moment, aren't we? Something that interests me about Cal Crutchlow and MotoGP is when he doesn't fall off, he's absolutely he's right there. I mean, he's going to win one, isn't he? But what what it? But he does he does crash quite a bit. I mean, this is a fact. So so is that something that all a top riders just got to put behind him how does how does that that get well i don't really know i mean we've seen it both on four wheels and two wheels many times where a guy is extremely quick but then he falls off a lot or makes mistakes sometimes they sort of gradually grow out of it or learn other times they don't so of course it's a very tricky one to to predict really and i think the difficulty now certainly on a lot of these things everything's so evenly matched there's a split seconds in it so it's very very close and highly competitive and i think in cal's case from what i can maybe understand he's not on the full full works bike so of course he's having to make up that little bit extra but i i mean the hope is of course that he just manages to sort of maybe calm down a little occasionally and get that consistency because ultimately whatever you're trying to do that's that's the secret you've got to be very very quick but you've also got to be consistent so, yeah. As a layman, let me ask you a question, though. Sorry to be the interviewer on this, but in that deal, because Marquez, Marquez, is that, I'm not saying it correctly, I mean, he's fantastic, but he falls off as well. How much of it is the new bikes, the new technology, the new the tires? Is any of that a factor? Well, I think the technology, which still baffles me, I have to say, and we were talking about this earlier, that... Um, I think the angles of lean that they've got now and the sort of the way these modern circuits are and the whole modern style is that you just scratch and scratch until suddenly you fall off the thing and you think, oh fine, I'll back off a bit now. And I did joke once a year or two back with these young guys that crashing was almost part of the setup routine, you yeah. know. Yeah. So I don't really know. I find it very strange, but I think, you know, they're, they're at such extreme angles that the difference between the tyre holding on a, because the suspension doesn't get chance to do an awful lot of work, so it's a very fine line, but again, we old guys go back to the time when the last thing you want to do is crash because you were either going to hit a tree or a wall or something. Well, and, so and you didn't it, have airbag And we didn't have all levers, that. And, but of course, you know. we didn't have the extreme levels of grip. Um, but, of course, that also can lead you into trouble. And again, a bit like ground effect cars. And if yeah. something does let go, then, yeah, you're in trouble. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it, everything's relative to the speed and the grip and the power and the surroundings. I think the surroundings make a difference. You know, if we knew we'd got 100 yards of runoff area, then it's amazing how brave exactly. you can be. You know? Well, <laughs> it's true. Even in Formula One, when they came to Indy and they had that extra area down there in the, at the end of the straightaway, yeah. they were all trying it because the most they were going to do is run across the grass and back yeah. onto the yeah. track. And everybody said, and it was, I mean, it was a great spot to try mm. to pass. Mm. But there wasn't a, 
a fault. But I, I mean, oh, there wasn't a penalty, no, no, if you like, except maybe screwing up your tires a little bit. But you weren't gonna, you weren't gonna wad it up. And, and yeah. as racing has gotten, there's always been a lot at stake. Yeah, but this, but but now with yeah. the manufacturers involved, yeah. the money involved, the sponsors involved, how important for the teams, the money that's involved, the front, the more points you score, all that sort of stuff. You you take away some of that yeah, because some of the, I think you've got to have a little bit of spot there. And sometimes I think we've got so much runoff area now. The next thing will be directional signs back to the circuit, you know, so that the guy doesn't actually get lost. You know, well, you know, you laugh, yeah. but the yeah. Salt Lake track um, at Miller Motorsports Park yeah. in Salt Lake City. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, one of the English sports car drivers, and he spun. And it, it was dirt, and he spun out there, and it does kind of. And he said he had to wait until a couple cars came by to know which way to go, whether it was left or right. <laughs> I can believe it. And yeah, because it was yeah. so featureless. Different discipline. Uh, you know yeah, that different you, discipline. You, yeah. it, there's no feature to it. Yeah. You know, I and we might uh, reintroduce scenery and trees. You never know. There's a new new challenge. Or, or do it all through virtual. Oh yeah. You know, so yeah. they can't hit it. Well, the you know, danger is that is we mustn't. I know it sounds awful, but we mustn't remove the danger element because. I think we all agree with that. I think, I mean, where do you draw the line? Those of us who don't take part definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, that's true. What was the young chap's name that we were talking to? The one five. Ian Hutchinson. Ian Hutchinson. Yeah. And he said, of all things, you know, all the TTs, all the time, and he goes and falls down at Silverstone in the wet and gets run over. And, and mess up. so yeah. It, yeah. it can even happen anywhere. So it can happen anywhere. You know, yeah. Silverstone's yeah. one of the safest tracks mm-hmm. there is. Okay, and yet it happens. So I don't think that we're ever going to be in danger of removing the the danger aspect of motorsports. Look at Le Mans in an Aston Martin. You would have never thought in. You you couldn't have predicted that ever. You know, yeah. and it yeah. just—it's still racing, still motorsports. Stuff's going to happen. Well, the only good thing, Danny, is I still believe that four wheels are better than two. <laughs> From the safety point of view, I'm not <laughs> arguing with you. Well, well, you, you are qualified to say that. Actually. Well, yeah, that's one of my. Uh, well, yeah. I wouldn't disagree. Benefit of experience. <laughs> okay, let, let's just end on let's end on Goodwood, shall we? Because we're in the Black yeah. Rock Drivers yeah. Club. 20th anniversary. I think we're all agreed it's an absolutely phenomenal event. It's the best event in the world and we've always said that and I often find myself saying it and again Danny will agree with me on this that uh, and I'm a lot lot older I have to say but I always sort of slightly say that if it hadn't been for Lord March with creating this sort of event you know old people like myself would have long since been sort of consigned to the history bin and not doing anything uh, the same activity so to do here and the revival you know it provides my sort of fix for the uh, which is absolutely lovely and, and the whole thing's done in such terrific style and yeah we're so well looked after and, and of course it's the best social event of the year yeah isn't it? well yeah. i wouldn't have met stuart if it hadn't have been for, for this event, yeah, because yeah. we were yeah. we were seated one night at a table, yeah, and, yeah. and so you've made a you lot made of a friends, lot extra and, pals, don't and, you? Yeah. and you get to see people. I have Nelson Piquet, who I shared a car with it at uh, Le Mans. I haven't yeah. seen Nelson for years, and you know, so you you kind of get to rekindle friendships. You make new ones. Uh, the, plus. Yesterday I came here, there was only about 25 or 30,000 people walking around. I think, well, I'll sneak out and go, to go look at all yeah. the cars and different uh, the different things, which which I did. And are they the, what are the blue air, what's the big land speed cars? All Bluebird. 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 Bluebird, thank you. Yeah. I kept calling the blue arrows. I mean, but anyway, the Bluebirds all over there. And even some of the rat rods and the guys were out doing all the tricks on the motors. Cycles yeah, down that the is brilliant. That is and, brilliant. Uh, you know, it's just for us guys. Wall to wall entertainment. Wall to wall, yeah. and it's a, for us. Pity we haven't got time to see it all. No, you cannot in three you, you days you with your can't. other duties. Yeah. You can't get to every paddock and see every car and everything that's going on. Well, welcome back. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Great, great to see you guys. But yeah. well, we're looking for a good weekend. You, know, you, you know. make the weekend for us. Yeah. Well done. Thank you very thank much. You thank all. you. Thanks a lot. Our final guest on our podcast today, which has gone far, far too quickly for my liking, is Vic Elford. Thank you for coming, Vic. My pleasure. Nice to meet you. You've driven a few Porsches in your time, Vic. Yeah, quite a few. Um, 
What's it like seeing the, all those cars together? Because it's quite a collection, isn't it? Well, it is quite a collection. It's very nice as well today, because I'm driving uh, the, the 1967 911 that is actually doing a world tour. And that brings back a lot of memories because, you know, back at the end of 1966, Porsche wasn't interested in racing with the 911, and I had to drag them into it. Uh, which worked pretty well and so all the way through 1967 I drove uh, a variety of 911s mostly with success and uh, it's always been uh, it's always had a very soft spot for me the, the, the very early 911s the short especially the short wheelbase one that nobody wanted to drive because it was too dangerous in fact it was the most marvelous car but a bit of danger never bothered you that much, did it? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous. No, the, the, the problem, I think, with the early 911s was that uh, one or two people said, you can't drive it, it's undrivable. In fact, it wasn't at all. It was a, a lovely, forgiving car. You just had to learn how to treat it. Do, I, if I'm remembering right, when you started running the, 9, the red 911, didn't a lot of the touring car guys get very snotty about whether it was eligible to compete against you know Lotus Cortinas and the like uh, you mean in the British Touring yeah, Car Championship I, well, I seem to remember you getting what, quite a lot of trouble with oh, that I, well not really trouble but um, I wasn't too popular because there were basically two 911s there was a short wheelbase 911 that I turned into a rally car and won rallies and championship with and then uh, after that uh, I'm sure you remember the the Lydon Hill Rallycross uh, with the car straight out of the Aldington showrooms uh, that I won with that. That was the one that became the race car because it was too dented to sell it. Uh, and uh, it, it was classified, I'm not sure if it was homologated or simply accepted whatever they did in those days, but it was classified as a touring car because if you remember in those days, the, there were the two seats for the driver and passenger, and then in the back there were two seats for legless children, and they qualified as seats, even though they were for legless children. And so it was a four-seater, and did indeed qualify for the, the championship, which we went on to win. Nick, um, next year Porsche going back to Le Mans. Uh, now Porsche obviously have this amazing heritage at Le Mans. It's very exciting to see them back in LMP1. They've taken on some Grand Prix driver to, 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 to drive for them uh, next year. Uh, in your day, drivers used to switch between F1 and sports cars all the time. What do you think it's like these days for someone like Mark Webber going into that car? Well, it's obviously totally changed. You know, everything about it has changed. Uh, first of all, we didn't get paid very much. So if we could do a second series, that was nice because we would make a little bit more money uh, because none of us finished up by being rich at the end of those days. Uh, in Mark's case, I don't know him, but actually I met him once here, probably about six years ago. And uh, what little I saw of him, I liked him, got on with him. Uh, he's obviously not just a highly professional guy, but he obviously still wants to go on racing and winning. And I think having been shown the door at Red Bull, and I'm sure he was shown the door, uh, he's chosen, he's made a very good choice, because who better to drive for than Porsche if you want to go sports car racing? Would you fancy a go in that new car? I'm sorry, would, would you fancy a go in that new car? Yes, I, well, I would and I wouldn't. I mean, I've always wanted to drive new cars or different cars. When I was much younger, there was one car that I always had wanted to drive, and that was a D-Type Jaguar. I never got the opportunity. Now I, I'm probably a bit too old to be able to drive it and enjoy it. Uh, today, there is one car that I would have just loved to have driven as well. Actually, there are two now, but one, one is the... Uh, uh, whichever is the latest Audi, you know, the R18 or the e-tron or whatever. I, I mean, I wouldn't sit for it now, but I would love to have had the opportunity to drive that. And now there's a third one on my list. It's called a Peugeot with 875 kilos and 875 horsepower to go with it. I mean, I don't know, Lobe, but I've never met him. I'd love to someday. Uh, Where were we just talking about it? Have you seen, you presumably seen the movie of uh, of him going up Pikes Peak? Yeah, I saw it on... on I mean, it's... I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Were right you as impressed it. as we were? Sorry? Were you as impressed oh, really? as we were? Well, yeah. yeah, except that I could see myself doing it as well, 40 years ago. Yeah, but, but uh, he's... And the car is obviously phenomenal. He obviously... I, I, I think he's probably like me, he's got a phenomenal memory for roads because I, I've never been up Pipes Peak but I knew the Monvo 2 hill climb which is the same, you know, you make a mistake, you, you, you go downhill for 5,000 feet 
Uh, so I would like to have done that, and I'd like to meet him sometime. Yeah. The, the only yeah, thing yeah. was, it's yeah. a shame it wasn't on dirt, and it's, it was on tarmac. It's, Sorry? It's, it's a shame it, that it wasn't on dirt. I think it's very impressive on tarmac. Yeah. Had it been the old one 20 years ago, uh, that would have been impressive too. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you remember when Michel Moudon beat everybody, and, and Robbie Answer at the top yes, was making right. a fuss of it. And she said, well, you know, what do you want to get? You want, you want to race down too? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Vic. Vic Elford. My uh, pleasure. A real pleasure, as ever. You're a great guy. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you. I, I wish we could talk weekend. to you for longer, but have, a, have a wonderful festival I'll come back speech. tomorrow. <laughs> have a wonderful festival speech. Thank you. Pleasure. Okay, that brings us to the end, I'm afraid. It's all, time's gone rather quickly, but we are at the end of uh, another Motorsport Magazine podcast. And uh, it's goodbye from the Black Rock Drivers Club at the Goodwood Festival Speed. But before we go, let me remind you of a very special reader event that's coming up in September, a couple of months' time, in fact. Uh, we will be having a barbecue evening with Sir Sterling Moss at the Hurlingham Club in London on September the 18th. That's September the 18th. Now, this will give you a three-course dinner with drinks all evening. So come and join us and Sir Sterling Moss at a barbecue at the Hurlingham Club in London on September the 18th. If you are a subscriber, the uh, price for this is £110. If you're not a subscriber, it is £118. It will be a great night and I do hope that lots and lots of you can come. Uh, meanwhile, it's goodbye from Goodwood and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.